From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Today, we'll hear one woman's story of healing through nature at the Milwaukee Domes. Then we'll get a behind-the-scenes look at how the domes prepare their plants and what goes into making a show. Think of each show almost like two shows. You know, we get a lot of visitors here in Christmas. It's common that they might get broken and we have to replace them. So that's why we have two installments. Plus, we'll have a studio session with Milwaukee singer-songwriter Hayward Williams, who says he's moving away from folk rock and closer to blues and soul with each new record. It's me slowly becoming comfortable with the complete idea of letting myself go on stage and vocally and in my performance and, and, and being free. All that's coming up on Lake Effect, but first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Thanks for joining us. The story we'll start with today touches on domestic violence and may be sensitive to some listeners. For decades, Milwaukee's iconic domes have been a place to celebrate nature and explore distant biomes. For Juanita Ramos, they're much more than that. They're a sanctuary and a place to heal. Ramos is a survivor of domestic violence. For years, she endured emotional, financial, and physical abuse at the hands of her husband. One day, it all became too much. She leapt out of a second-story window in an attempt to escape. Ramos survived the fall with serious injuries to her foot. She found support and left her husband. And in the months of recovery that followed, she went to the domes daily. Years later, Ramos is an advocate and leader for other victims of abuse. She shares her story of nature and healing with WUWM's Lena Tram. When Juanita Ramos walks into the tropical dome, her face lights up. This, she says, might be her favorite dome of the three. It reminds her of her childhood home in Puerto Rico. The heat and humidity are familiar, the colors are a celebration, vibrant pinks and purples, and the plants are dramatic. Palms the size of coffee tables, moss and ferns and vines everywhere. The room hums with life. We see a corpse flower when we walk in. It's the size of a toddler. It hasn't bloomed yet, so its petals are snug around its core like a buttoned-up collar. Oh, look at that, see? Something happens to you, like it just happened to me right now. And then look at this, look at this corpse flower. I just, <laughs> so unique. Wow. This tree here, we used to have about three in the backyard your childhood home? Yeah. What is it? It's, I don't know how they call it in English, but it's guanabana. It's a, like a white pulp inside, and you take all those, the skin out, and it has little seeds, black seeds. And the taste of the guanabana is like, it's not too sweet, not, I mean, it's just perfect. <laughs> and I can taste it <laughs> just by looking at a tree. I call these rainbows because they got so many colors. To me, it reminds me of fall. They're so intricate. And if you notice, not all the leaves are the same shape or length. They all have something different. And to me, that, that makes it so special. So every, every plant has a, you can create a story out of it. 
out of every plant, out of every flower. And it really does something to you. Your mind really goes away from everything that's really bothering you and you just concentrate and meditate and you can inspire you to talk to your you know to your god you believe more than a decade ago Juanita would find solace here doing this very thing because of her injured foot she couldn't go far from home but she could actually see the domes from her old house. She pointed the house out to me before we walked in together, a brown roof from her past across the busy street. I will come down the stairs because I was living on the second floor. I would sit and sit and come down, not using my legs, but my bottom. Until I got to the bottom of the stairs, then I would just to do something funny to grab the uh, wheelchair and uh, it was painful but it was worth it because <laughs> I was coming over here and it made it made a whole difference in my life and I did that for probably seven months she said she would come and talk to the plants and it's kind of like they would talk back and say it's going to be okay things won't always be like this they were my friends at that time if you talk to a human being, they'll say, well, if I was you, I would have done this, I would have done that. But if you talk to a plant, they just listen. They don't judge you. They don't tell you, well, next time you better, you know, you know you'll know better. Nothing. It was just, okay, here I am, you know. And so that's what I experienced. It was like I had to come every day and sit here and cry and talk to the plants and, and just sit down and meditate. And I don't know if you've been in there, but they're, when they have different flowers, it's like the scent of the flowers. It's like you can just close your eyes, relax, and smell all of that. And, and it does something to you. It does something to your brain. Because when you go through trauma, your head is like pitch dark. It just, you don't, it's like you lose that sense of understanding, even understanding yourself. Juanita would bring her Bible to the domes. She lost herself in prayer. In the heat of the desert, the colors of the flowers, the heady scent of the rainforest, the plants she saw were beautiful, strong, thriving, things she wanted to be herself. She felt like she was in her own personal Eden. Was your faith ever challenged in that dark time, or did it feel like, like you always had that? You know what? I always, I always knew that. There's chaos around us, no matter what. And sooner or later, in a big or small degree, some of us are gonna experience something in life that we don't, never wanted to you know, experience. And so, what do you do when something like that happens? It's power and choice, right? So you either sit down 
get mad, angry. You blame everybody, including God. <laughs> or you said, okay, I'm going to learn something out of this. And what I learn out of it, I'm going to share it with somebody. And maybe help somebody. Uh, not heal because I don't have the power, but in the sense of healing in the sense of having someone who will listen to you and would not judge you. And I grew up in Puerto Rico. And they have a lot of the same plants that I grew up climbing on trees. Can you imagine you going through a lot and then all of a sudden you remember, oh, I remember when I used to climb on those mango trees and go up there. And so your mind starts moving. It starts going back and and things that you probably forgot, never talked about it, all of a sudden it comes alive because of what you're going through and what you experienced in the past. So the, the experience in the, in the past and the one now connect and somehow a healing process starts. It took you back to that time before these terrible things happened to you mm -hmm. and to the person that you were mm -hmm. before then. Exactly. And guess what the message was? What? It's going to be better. It can be the same or even better. Yes. And yes, it is. It got better to the point that the backyard, my backyard, is full of flowers. Because Even now, Juanita says, the body has a way of remembering things that you don't want to remember. When that happens, she comes back here, or heads into her garden in the backyard. There's birds, butterflies, roses, lavender. She can spend hours there. Juanita sees messages everywhere in nature, signs of God's love and design. She tells me about this time that she was in Florida a few years ago. And there, and there was a tree that felt because of Maria, the Hurricane Maria, but a few of the roots were in the ground, and the tree was the base for other plants to grow. And sort of remind me of me. And so I started to write about, sometimes we fall, but falling doesn't mean that you just die. You can nurture others around you. Like this tree, it had like about 10 different plants. You know those um, spider plants? There were so many on it. And animals like, you know, in Florida, there's all kinds of little animals and they will go in there. And I just wrote a whole thing. <laughs> Durante la tormenta, María, al árbol caído solo le quedaban algunas raíces incrustadas en la tierra. She wrote about God's faithfulness. She believes that every flower is him telling her, I love you, I have a plan. Even when you're in the desert, you are greater than your pain. And although you're in pain, you can help someone else heal. She wrote, even when you fall, you can help others get up. For WUWM, I'm Lena Tran. That was WUWM's Lena Tran and Juanita Ramos. Ramos eventually went to college for the first time and graduated magna cum laude. 
She had a second career as an early childhood educator, and her garden is thriving. People visit throughout the year to see various shows in each of the Milwaukee domes. But how do these shows come to be? And how are these plants maintained when they're not even on display? Lake Effect's Joy Powers headed to the domes to learn more with two of the experts, Horticulture Supervisor Amy Thurner and Doris Maki, the Horticultural Services Director. We'll hear from her first. We have six growing greenhouses in six, six horticulturists. So we share their horticultural staff between the conservatory and the greenhouses. They manage and operate all the permanent collections in the conservatory, the rotating exhibits, and all the crop management and growing. Welcome to our growing greenhouses. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. The space you're in right now we call the head house because it's the house that's in front of all the other ones. It's where we do most of the, the dirty work. We're going to do all the, the potting and the cutting back and all the major horticultural work and then everything goes into each individual house and they're all set at different temperatures and have different growing requirements so you have the plants have options for what they need we divide everything by shows or its location of where it's going to go like either in the show dome or over at burner botanical gardens yeah we do a lot for them too so which one of these are we going to go into first? We're going to go in greenhouse one. Greenhouse one. Well, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Okay. Start with one. Do you recognize these plants? I don't know if I do. Poinsettias. Uh, yes, we start growing poinsettias here right around the 4th of July. Christmas in July for us. <laughs> There's maybe six different varieties in here. The colors range from white to pink to red. They vary in size and their uh, growing habit. Most of the pot mums, or chrysanthemums, excuse me, get pinched. And then there's a section in the back that do not get pinched and they grow straight up. So they get very tall. To grow those, we just snip off all the side buds so, and all the energy is going into that one main stalk. Those are pretty special and unique. They don't sell those at florist. I was about to say, where yeah. do these normally go? Yep, uh, they all go uh, in the show dome. This is a huge <laughs> room of them. Are all of these going to go in there? Yeah. It, it's funny looking at them in this space, because mm -hmm. I've seen them in the show dome. Sure. But looking at them in this space, it just seems like a vast it sea is. of them. It is a vast sea of them. So this is probably two installments. So some of the varieties color up sooner than others so then we have a, a replacement so think of each show almost like two shows you know we get a lot of visitors here in Christmas so it's common that they might get broken and we have to replace them so that's why we have two installments so yeah above our heads we have shade cloth and we have also a blackout cloth and the blackout cloth we use mostly on the chrysanthemum crop to uh, trigger their flowering in time for the show because naturally they wouldn't flower as soon as we make them flower. So it's a little trick and uh, we have exhaust fans in the back and then in the middle 
There's two little ones that hang, and that all helps suck the air across the house for good air circulation. On this side, we have what we call swamp coolers or cooling pads. It's basically greenhouse air conditioning. So there's a vent behind those that open, and the cool water trickles down, and then we're sucking that across to help these greenhouses not overheat. <laughs> you, can, you can come closer here, and you can hear the water, which is operating as a cooling system for the greenhouse. These are fascinating. Just noticing all these tubes and how these are going to go inside the pods our irrigation system and you can see the in the poinsettias and how they're all tubed oh, yeah. so we can program the watering schedule so there isn't somebody you know walking through here with a little pot it's a combination and some of that is done but primarily we let the house do the job so we have the control system in here is called Argus and Argus is like the main brain for all the growing greenhouses and controls all the greenhouse systems. Everything from both types of shade to the irrigation to the floor heat. So yes, the floors can be heated. <laughs> so we get a little bit more warmth. Sure. Um, in theory, the, the Argus is supposed to take the place of a person physically opening the vents and physically pulling the shade and obviously the watering, but can't always be done automatically, but for the most part, we, we aim to do it that way just because it's uh, more consistent and easy. And we have fertilizer. So we have all these tricks. <laughs> I'm sure with like uh, a group like this, uh -huh. it's nice to have the, kind of the watering system because you can kind of set it, yep. forget it, maybe check on the plants just to make sure there's mm -hmm. an, a couple that are suffering. But with some of your other more less common rarer plants yes, yeah. you're probably doing more of the kind right. of hands-on. That's exactly pretty much how it works. This is Argus but you see a control panel outside of each house yeah. uh, which is the brain of the house. We'll just give you like a little peek here. Oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> do you guys do this? So this is if we want to um, Tell Argus to take a break, and now we want to take control and manually operate things. That's what the little dials are for. So we may step in there and, oof, let's close the roof. It's raining, and the weather sensor above didn't sense the storm coming in fast enough. And we can do those types of things. But it's rare. We pretty much let Argus roll. It's like the weather report. Yeah. Usually it's pretty close, uh -huh. but then sometimes you're like, it's not raining. That's not accurate. Yeah. Let's see, so there's six growing greenhouses, and one through five are the same. Six is a little smaller, but okay. Yeah, and so what you saw in greenhouse one is the holiday show crop. Okay. In this houses, this might be fall show. Mm -hmm. So basically, the work that is being done here is two exhibits ahead. Okay. Right now, if you visit us in the conservatory, in the show dome, you'll see the summer show. So we have a few plants here that could be our replacements. The summer show is a 13-week show, so we definitely have to replace plants. But then we're also growing for the fall and the holidays. So we're all two shows ahead already. So what we're looking at kind of through the door here, this is gonna be probably fall, fall show. Yeah. Soon, we'll actually be starting spring. Like we're always, on this roll. 
it never ends. <laughs> so, yeah, this is mostly poinsettias, or no, actually chrysanthemums. Chrysanthemums, and then various annuals. No flowers yet, but soon. <laughs> now, these domes all seem pretty humid. Of course, it is incredibly humid outside. Well, and we have this moving the cool air across. But I'm thinking that every plant wants humidity. Do you have yeah. greenhouses where you try to keep it more not arid like the here. desert? Uh, not in the greenhouse facility side of the operation, but over on the dome side we have a very small little room for the orchid collection in that we have a very strong mist system in there and they orchids love to be misted. So <laughs> over where we have this little orchid collection there's a, a very small area where we're growing on future um, collections for the desert dome. Yeah, like yeah. cacti and yep. things. Okay. It's our transition dome, we call it. So. <laughs> These plants do take, of course, a while, as you said. Mm -hmm. You're starting some of their spring stuff already. Yeah, soon, yeah. But as I, I grow a lot of cactuses at home, oh, sure. as I think about it, I go, mm -hmm. oh, they take a long yes, time to yes. grow. <laughs> it's common that plants are in there. We were just talking about this a few hours ago. We had a meet, meeting about the desert dome, and there's things in there that our euphorbia right now is a big, as big as you and I, and it's in a pot, and we're going, okay, we think you're, we're ready to put you in. Now, there's not many that big, but it takes a while, so we have to have a designated space to get everything big enough. Otherwise, the plants go in, they're like so small, people can't even see them, so, right? So, yeah, it takes time, but without the trans house, the dome side would be a lot harder to maintain that collection. That's where we have the, also the tropical dome, got some space designated in there so yeah um holiday show violas so these will be i mean these will be full plants by christmas yes it's interesting comparing these just because we of course we're in one of the greenhouses yep. full of holiday plants yeah. mm -hmm. but those must take a much longer yep. time to grow and yet these little guys are like oh day of the dead we'll be good by then yeah there's another call it the flex house one more space for growing outside okay this is all the complex it's it's a really big complex huge, i yeah. think one of the things people would be surprised by is just like how big it is yeah, yeah, yeah. And just how many plants there are back here and like see yeah, a big operation yeah it's it's an intense amount of space and an intense amount of plants and only two people working back two here. Two greenhouse growers. Only two greenhouse yes. growers? Yes. Oh my god. We could have ten. Yeah. <laughs> Doris Maki is the Horticultural Services Director, and Amy Thurner is the Horticulture Supervisor at the Mitchell Park Domes. They both join Lake Effect's Joy Powers. In about ten minutes, we'll hear from Milwaukee musician Hayward Williams about his new album. But first, we'll learn how Wisconsin's folk schools are teaching new generations traditional skills. That's coming up next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. You're listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Wisconsin has one of the highest number of folk schools in the country and they are bringing timeless skills like sewing or woodworking to new generations. Writer Christine Hansen took a look into the lasting legacy of folk schools. 
Hansen is a contributing writer to Milwaukee Magazine, and she's an author of several books about Wisconsin. She joins LikeFX Mallory Chang to share more about what she learned. So in Wisconsin, we have seven folk schools, which is a lot. It's actually tied with Minnesota for having the highest number in any given state. Um, so what a folk school is, it's a lot about homesteading, living off the land, being self-sufficient. Um, it could be tree grafting, say you're managing an orchard or a farm, or it could be more interior skills in the home, like butchering a chicken or sewing or felting. Uh, there's a lot that has to do with the land, but also um, skills that have to do with self-sufficiency inside of the house. These folk schools are for adults of all ages, right? Young adults into seniors. Um, it's a mix of young adults into retired people. And I actually think that's what's really interesting is that people in their 20s are interested in these skills. What's interesting about these schools is that they're teaching you skills that years ago, you might've learned from your grandparents or your great-grandparents, right? And as we progress, a lot of these skills are being lost, right? We're in a modern age, a modern society. I just want to hit on that point you just said, that Wisconsin is tied with our neighboring state, Minnesota, for the largest concentration of folk schools in the nation. And why is that so special? Why are they so special here in Wisconsin that we have seven different folk schools here? I was curious about that as well as I was researching this article. And so I asked my sources and what I learned is that the idea and concept of the folk schools links back to the Scandinavian tradition, which as you know, in Wisconsin, we have a lot of residents who come from that heritage. There's a huge concentration in Door County, of course, which is where the clearing is in Ellison Bay. And then there's also in Dodgeville, a folk school called Folklore Village. And that one is really interesting because it actually is founded on this activity of folk dancing. So it's literally folk dancing at a folk school, but they've since expanded to include other homesteading topics that other folk schools will offer. And just from exploring different folk schools across the state, Christine, why do most people want to open these schools up? Although none of these are new, they've been around for a long time, their offerings are continually changing. And what I found when I worked on this article and spoke to not only the schools themselves, but also people who had taken the classes is that we're in a really good time to dial it back to these self-sufficiency skills, right? Most of us, we're spending a lot of time on our phones, streaming content on our televisions or devices. This is about getting back to the land, getting back to a slower time. And many people who go to these folk schools, that's exactly what they're looking for. It's a retreat. While yes, it's an opportunity to pick up a skill, the reason that these are in a retreat model is because you can really dive into that experience. And for many of these skills, you could not do them in one day. Maybe you could butcher a chicken in one day and cook it and eat it. But for a lot of these, you are monitoring the process as you go. Maybe you're working on a, a woodworking project. Maybe you're working on blacksmithing, on tree grafting. It's all about just sitting back and watching the beauty and the nature unfold over several days or a week, which is, again, why these classes are very immersive and they use a retreat model. 
Yeah, and it sounds like each school offers a little bit of everything, and I can only imagine, especially with the past couple of years, with even being at home and really confined to our home spaces where people want to get away from their screens. I know I'm one of them too, and I really crave working with my hands. And with just speaking with different folk school instructors and different people who are part of the folk schools, has there been an increased interest, even more increased interest lately within the past couple of years? There's definitely been increased interest. In fact, when I started researching this article in the spring for the current issue, I was surprised and delighted to see that many of the classes were sold out through the summer. So people were already making decisions to leave their cities or their home environments and go to these places to learn these skills. So that tells me that, you know, these are are really booking up, there's excitement, there's energy. And you're exactly right in that during this pandemic, we've been confined to our home spaces. A lot of people were making uh, sourdough bread for the first time in 2020. And bread making is a skill that's offered at many folk schools, by the way, if anyone's interested in that. It's one of the kitchen skills, including butchering chickens that's offered. So there's definitely this renewed interest. Um, People want to be self-sufficient. They want to pick up skills. They want to use their hands because our hands are dabbling and laptops and computers and phones. And we want to use our, our hearts and our minds and our brains in different ways. And that's exactly how this fits in. Christine Hansen is a contributing writer to Milwaukee Magazine and is the author of several books all about Wisconsin. She spoke with Lake Effect's Mallory Chang last year. Did you know you can listen to Lake Effect as a podcast? Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to download and listen to us on demand. Don't forget, you can also follow WUWM on Instagram where you'll find videos and pictures from news stories and Lake Effect interviews. We'll take one more break and then return with an in-studio performance session with Milwaukee singer-songwriter Hayward Williams. Keep listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Hi, I'm Hayward Williams, and this song is called Roller Rink. mind to burn Where I go is none of your concern I got a Chevy Cavalier and it's mine to steal In a traveling band of mutineers That's going on the roller rink Gonna steal anything that ain't nailed down Sister and her friends a ride, but I don't know you once we get inside. Milwaukee singer-songwriter Hayward Williams has been a staple in the local music scene for a long time. He recently released his ninth album called Might As Well Turn It Up. Williams is often put into the category of folk rock, but with each new record he inches closer and closer to being more of a blues and soul musician. 
It's evident in the sound of this new record, and to share more about it, Williams joins me in the Lake Effect Performance Studio. Here's Williams playing the first track of the new album called Roller Rink. I got an idea, but it's nothing good. Let's go to the roller rink, gonna steal anything that ain't nailed down. Dig it, baby, do you wanna trade? Do you know it gets darker in the arcade? Too young to get drunk, too scared to get stoned, no, no, no. And too old to stay home. with Roller Rink. Hayward, welcome back to Lake Effect. Good to have you in the studio this time. So good to be here. So Roller Rink makes me immediately think of Rollero. Have you ever been there on the I've, south side? I've driven past it a bunch of times. And I think it's closed. It is. Yeah, it closed down, but uh, it gives me some nostalgia there. I grew up in Waukesha, and there's a place called Skateland. Yeah. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it's exactly the same as it was Probably. When, when was That's kind of yeah. the charm of Roller Rinks. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. Were yeah. you at uh, Skateland or anything recently for writing no. this song? Or No, I was, because I'm a stay-at-home dad when I'm not making music, I don't have a lot of uh, outside life experience. Yeah. <laughs> so I've kind of been digging more into nostalgia to, for, for writing. And uh, I was just thinking about when you're 16, you're driving around, and pretty much all you can do is drive around, and there's there's not much else to do. And then... Me and my friends would just get bored and then end up at Skateland and yeah. then just like. Well, it is that weird, havoc, like preteen, teenage yeah. time where it's like, yeah. yeah, you're bored, you want to go and do something, but you don't know exactly what. Yeah, there's like nothing to do. Yeah, so we would just end up, you know, like wreaking havoc yeah. and like <laughs> stealing things and, you know, requesting songs that the DJ wouldn't play and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Getting mad at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned you're a stay-at-home dad. Last time we talked was in August of 2020. Your third son, your third kid, your son, had just been born right. um, not too long before we spoke. Oh, man. It's a loaded question, but how are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm great. Yeah. I'm great because, you know, it's it's an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. Just profound, profound joy you know, being with kids and having children and doing all that. But it, it is like, I feel like I don't know how to be social anymore because I only talk to, to children. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, it's it's not the usual hustle that musicians are, are known for, right? No. Yeah. No, I, d I don't get to like, I was never good at like schmoozing and like hanging out at shows anyway, but now now it's now even the harder. kids to say yeah. like, hey, I need to get well, back home. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a pretty ironclad excuse. Exactly. But, and also like, the chances of me being up past like 9:30 are pretty slim. So <laughs> early shows for early Hayward. shows for Hayward. So for some artists and musicians I've spoken to, the pandemic either reaffirmed the role of music in their lives and what they're doing, or it made them realize that sometimes they like maybe think about easing off the gas, finding a way to transition out of it. What's been your understanding of it, or what have you come to realize? Um, I think I've become very honest with myself about it. I think. 
the desire and the need for me to create is still very strong. And I still really need to do it mostly for my own sanity and my own health. Like, it, like this is what I do. And I've focused more on what well, I love making records and I love making music. I don't have nearly as much time to play out as I once did. So I'm just going to focus on that and have that be what defines my career at this point. And I think being honest with myself about that and having that clarity about it has also helped me to kind of be a better father and not be split of two minds, you know, about like, who am I? What am I doing? And, yeah. Know, what takes priority? Exactly. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, this new album, Might As Well Turn It Up, makes for nine records. So <laughs> um, when we last spoke is for Every Color Blue, and that was made during the pandemic where things had to be adjusted, all the different mm -hmm. tracks and musicians recorded remotely, and it all kind of came together. So what was it like putting this record together after having such a, a different experience for Every Color Blue? Well, it was definitely different because the I didn't, I didn't have to, you know, take a 90-degree turn you know, when making this record, I would say th the biggest thing about making this record was my father-in-law, uh, Chuck, like his, his love languages is like, he comes to our house and he like fixes things or like makes things and does all the things that we don't have time or the bandwidth to do. And he couldn't stop a, a pandemic. So he built me a recording studio in my basement. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, that's and so we we did it together and we worked on it for a long time. And once I was all set up, I had my own space, you know, which which is an important thing. You know, it's got a it's got a door that locks. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> and um and so I, I'm able to focus in a way. But because I had that, I was able to bring in uh, the, a drummer that I love using. His name is Charlie Coltock and Brooks Milgate, who plays piano on everything I do. And I was able to have them in my own studio and and work and kind of get the bones of it together with the two of them. And then once that was solidified, I got to just kind of pick away at all the work that I had to do with the time and the energy that I had available to me, which meant that it was kind of a slow process. And then once once things were coming together, I was able to kind of do a similar, similar thing that I had to do with Every Color Blue, which is I would have people email in tracks and kind of keep, you know, filling in the gaps that way. But I think being able to have... Charlie and Brooks in the room together to kind of lay the bedrock for the the album made everything much more cohesive this time around. Yeah. Well, we don't have the, the full band and stuff here, but I'm glad you're here with your guitar. Let's hear another song from your new record. This is called Between You and Me. Saw you standing there It was about half past midnight Yes, I had my doubts about us from time to time That had nothing to do with you I was just passing through
That was nothing but the very best of times But I still remember every crime of mine, oh my, oh my But I still cross that line to drown in your sea that's just between you and me Just between you and me I keep saying the past is gone as a Can't change what you become You can't go back to school Only a fool would try To turn back now But I keep holding on somehow That was nothing but The very best of times I still remember every crime of mine Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my But I still cross that line To drown in your sea That's just between you Yes, I had my doubts about us from time to time That had nothing to do with you I was just passing through I was just passing through That was Between You and Me by Hayward Williams. We're here in Studio C at uh, WWM. Thank you so much for playing that song. Uh, before we started rolling, you said you hadn't played that one live yet, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, Correct. it sounds yeah. great. No, well, so thank you for sharing that with us, especially well, this version of it. So you often get put to the folk rock category, uh-huh. but I think with this one, especially following Every Color Blue, I think you're still staying in the, the blues soul genre, which I love. Oh, yeah. How would you say you would accurately categorize yourself? Yeah, I would say I keep on putting more of myself into kind of like the soul music kind of genre, and it's kind of rooted in blues. And one of these times I'll really just go full into soul music because when it comes down to it for me, that is that is 
all my favorite music is soul music. And it, and isn't it like the genre in and of itself is trying to save your soul? And isn't that, you know, what, what music should be, I guess, you know, and that's what well, it does for me. Well, with each album, yeah. are you kind of inching closer and getting more comfortable into like being in that sound and being in that mind frame? Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think uh, it's me slowly becoming comfortable with the complete idea of letting myself go on stage and vocally and in my performance and 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 being free well and there's also something about rightly being precious about your favorite music and wanting yeah. to keep it as your escape and not exactly work, you know yeah yeah because i mean like i can only do what i do and i can push myself towards one extreme or the other to to try to like fulfill whatever sort of dream i have about becoming you know some sort of you know soul singer who who doesn't even play an instrument on stage and you know kind of is is comfortable with like moving themselves on stage and and being a frontman or a showman or something like that and i don't know if that's me but that doesn't mean i'm not going to try i guess like i i i can't be al green but a, a man would it be great <laughs> <laughs> we can build you there <laughs> okay yeah okay uh, this doesn't do much because it's just the two of us there's not uh people around for you to be the front <laughs> man, but uh, i say you got the you got what it takes to do it oh good with uh with this album and, and the song you just played too there's some great like waltzes in here mm. like mel like i would think ashes and coals that's more of like a slower Ooh, yeah. melancholy yeah, yeah, waltz yeah, yeah. but this one too kind of reminded me of of that format as well yeah uh, i it is a um it's an underused time signature, I feel, when it comes to popular music, and and but I it it immediately makes people sway in their chairs, mm -hmm. you know, and it's and it's and it's evocative and it and it's nostalgic and it's it's something I try not to use too much, but it's if if I can't help myself, oh well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, we start with Roller Rank. We uh, just heard between you and me. Throughout this whole album, and please tell me if this was not your intent, but <laughs> in my interpretation of it, you kind of start with like the adolescence, grow in maturity, have some life lessons, some optimism, and then come back to like this is the realistic view of things, at least like in the song titles and kind of the theme throughout. Well, you first of all, you're right. Okay, good. No, <laughs> I mean it's always up for interpretation. You're, There's you're no right. wrong way to listen to music. Let's right. just say that. <laughs> but I would I would also say that. It, I I might not have been entirely aware of that when it came to the sequencing of the record. I think I just yeah, because sometimes it comes down to yeah. like, hey, this fits here because this is logistics. Right. It's not always as right. much as maybe I'm reading into it. So that's why I gave that you know. No, I, I I put roller rink at the front because I, f I felt like it had all of the ingredients more or less of what the record would have been like. It it was a good place to begin for everything, but it it definitely is the the most adolescent in subject matter and and maybe the funnest one in a lot of ways on the record and but and then uh, the final song is a song called uh, darling things have changed which is a song i wrote during lockdown you know thinking about like how i would have to explain to my children about how like well yeah all these things that you see in movies or things like that we don't get to do those anymore because you know you know a pandemic or whatever i at the time i didn't know what the future would hold so i um, was writing from the point of view of like well this is everything we used to do and but now you have to figure out what you're gonna do 
Well, let's hear one last song, the one you just talked about. This is Darling, Things Have Changed. And thanks again so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Something that we used to do Never thought I'd have to explain to you Oh, but here we are in the modern age Know how the fires they once raged They used to make our plans Could hold someone's hand To touch their skin you might hear Violins We could feel the highs Even look them in the eyes But things have changed Things have changed Hayward Williams is a Milwaukee-based singer-songwriter and his latest album, Out Now, is called Might As Well Turn It Up. He joined me in the Lake Effect Performance Studio. It was engineered by Jason Reby. And you can hear the full versions of all three of the songs he performed from his new album at wuwm.com. And that's Lake Effect for today. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. If you've missed any of today's conversations or you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, simply download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll hear from one of the first openly transgender law enforcement officers in Wisconsin. Plus, we'll share what to expect in the lineup for this year's Milwaukee Short Film Festival that's celebrating 25 years. That's tomorrow at noon on Lake Effect, right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. Things have changed. Never minded staying in You know I've already been wrong Never minded staying in But the world is my home And here we are And we're all that we used to do I'll try and paint a picture of you But why describe something we could never regain Pretty soon you'll have to carry the flame Cause little darling thing have changed Little darling Things have changed Little darling Things have changed